So here's the question. In the print and packaging supply chain, how do we deliver new ideas and innovative practices to continually improve your profit, your brand, and your quality? Welcome to the Gamut Podcast, and I am your host, Jeff Collins, Director of Print Technologies for ID Alliance. We are a nonprofit global think tank serving the graphic communications industry with 12 offices strategically located around the world to better support our membership. You can support the Gamut Podcast and content like this by becoming a member at ID Alliance by going to www.idalliance.org. I would also like to thank Konica Minolta for sponsoring this podcast. They are a world leader in industrial and commercial printing and packaging solutions. Our guest on today's Gamut Podcast is Mike Todrick. Mike is a color technical specialist for IWCO Direct. They are a leader in direct marketing for nearly 50 years in North America, and they are one of the nation's largest providers of data-driven direct marketing solutions. As well, IWCO is a proven quality-focused print service provider with multiple production facilities in Minnesota, as well as Pennsylvania, and these plants are all G7 Master Qualified. They have four certified G7 experts on staff to maintain a G7 shared appearance across 13 different continuous web litho presses, two sheet-fed presses, 10 continuous web inkjet presses, 10 flexo presses, I gotta catch my breath here, three Epson contract proofers, and three color digital toner devices. And if that's not impressive, over the last year, they have certified all of their color printing technologies to G7 color space. This is the highest level of G7 qualification and simply it is an incredible manufacturing feat. So we're really looking forward to hearing how Mike did that and how it helped them support their critical brand customers and direct mail. Hey, Mike, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Mike, I'm doing wonderful. And I heard your webinar uh, with ID Alliance on our Brand Q series webinars. And that was with, uh, I believe, Tim Beckley, Ron Ellis, and a few others. But you guys were talking about um, the application of shared neutral appearance across different printing processes, different technologies, and the huge benefits you guys have received. And you guys are definitely unique. And IWCO, as I mentioned in the intro, has taken quality to quite another level. As a matter of fact, the majority of commercial printers and other facilities that are G7 Master qualified only submit maybe a litho press, a contract proofing system, a wide format device, or a digital toner device, and that's it, even though they have maybe multiple facilities, multiple technologies, and definitely multiple presses within their fleets. So there's really no publicly tangible evidence for brand owners or print buyers to know that that G7 Master facility can provide the same level of quality 
throughout their entire fleet of equipment or throughout their different facilities. And IWCO Direct really has debunked that myth or perception that all you need for direct mail is pleasing color because everybody just throws it in the trash anyway kind of uh, uh, attitude. And we know that quality is extremely important in the effectiveness of direct mail, as you well know. And tell me why uh, you got, tell me about that perception. Number one, this pleasing color perception. And number two, why you guys have taken quality to the next level. Well, I think the perception is to a lot of people that, yeah, just pleasing color, but yet you realize we have, you know, hundreds of customers and it's all brand color matching for the most part. You know, they have some photographs and stuff like that, but there's a lot of brand color matching that we have to do. Right. Um, and so, and a lot of them are, are very critical. And what one of the problems that we have is a lot of them are very critical of the color, but yet they don't have a lot of knowledge as to the factors that's going to affect that color. So we get a lot of people with brand colors that, oh, yeah, my color's, you know, 186C, but yet they're printing on uncoated stock, but they don't understand why it doesn't look like 186C out of their Pantone book that's four years old. Right. Um, so that that's one of the big challenges. Um, but when I first got here, one of the first things that we began to work on is we had a, an initiative with one of our large customers because we'd had a number of misstops, missteps with them. And so we, at that point, we probably had a color issue probably every two weeks where something was off and not what the customer expected. And we'd have to go back and do reprints. Reprints were up were really high. And so then we immediately began to work to try to implement G7 across everything more tightly. Um, my boss was instrumental in kind of realizing that, especially with all of the digital equipment that we were going to have, that we were going to need a color management department in order to manage that. The litho presses had always kind of been done to G7, at least for a while. But once the digital got introduced, now we were seeing a pretty good discrepancy between the digital and the and the offset. Right. And so we needed to come up with a way to, to get that. So when I got brought on board with, with the experience I had, especially with the Rollins and the, and, and digital printing and stuff, because my boss, most of his, his, uh, years and years of experience was an offset. So we were able to tie in both of our knowledges and bring in tight process control, bring in G seven across all technologies, bring in press standards. Um, and once we did that, we actually haven't had a, an issue that was just color mm -hmm. in two years. Mike, you guys at IWCO have quite an impressive uh, portfolio of printing devices, uh, whether they're litho or digital. And of course you have multiple facilities that you're doing this and producing from. So tell me about, um, the variety of technologies and exactly what you guys are dealing with there at IWCO. We've got two sheet fed presses. We have seven continuous web presses, all different 
most of them are 20 inch 18 20 inch i do have a 34 inch um m1000 but most of them are 18 inch. Most of that's uncoated paper. And most of those are printing shells, what we call shells. Yes. The the letter or the statement that doesn't change. Right. So that gets printed on those in continuous rolls. Um, we have 10 flexo presses that we use for envelopes. And then in the digital room, we have one of the largest digital platforms in North America. So we have just in Minnesota, we have three Osei Canon 3900s, two screen uh, HD 520s, Osei Canon 3500 image stream, Canon i300, uh, sheet fed inkjet, two iGens, and now we have two 6,900 Canon Osei's looking to add some more. So of the three facilities, are all of those facilities G7 Master? Are you guys uh, controlling that that color management and process control centrally? Um, Tell me a little bit about those multi-plant environments. We are a G7 uh, master color space facility in every technology in every technology uh, across all three facilities. So basically all the, the machines are set up. They have their own, they all have their own linearization or own basic calibration. And then they all are set up with input profiles that are Grackle 2013 coded or uncoded depending on the, the substrate. So all CRPC6 or CRCP crcp3 now the canon 3900s we can they have a tone transfer curve that does allow us to put a g7 curve so after we do the linearization on those we do a g7 curve before we make the output profile we make all our own output profiles for all of our different substrates that's an interesting point that you just made describing the process there so you guys will linearize then apply a G7 curve to align to gray balance and then make the characterization profile and then target a data set like Grackle 2013, coded or uncoded. Um, why add the step of G7 calibration between linearization and profiling when we can sometimes skip that step and just go directly from linearization to characterization profiling to target the particular uh, reference print condition. Why do G7 in between, and what advantage does that give you? A couple different reasons, but we had done studies using Maxwell to kind of look at the data, and we realized that we looked at it input, output profile, and just saw how close the machines got to each other that way. And then we did input G7 and made the output profile, linearization G7, and then the output profile. And consistently, every time we tested it, and we got a tighter match with the calibration G7 curve, and then making an output profile on that. And how much more time did that incur as far as doing the process? Uh, Because a lot of people... and. There's, you know, some that just do the ICC profile and target uh, Grackle 2013 or Grackle 2006, and uh, some are doing what you're doing uh, because of the benefit of being able to, you know, be much more accurate 
is there really a big difference in uh, time saving to do the? I mean, what's again the accuracy part? I, I under totally understand, but uh, does it really matter if you spend that extra what ten fifteen minutes to run the curve? It, it takes us probably an extra. Even here, it takes us probably maybe an extra hour when we're doing the setup to, to, to do the G7 on the one on the devices that we can. But what it's what we've gained from that is before the in looking at the data between printers, our average delta E difference between printers was probably a 1.3, 1.4, um, by adding G7 calibration as part of it, we've got it down to a 0.4 between and printers. Understood. That's a heck of a difference. Right. So to us, it's worth that extra, yeah. you know, half hour to an hour. And to listeners, that level of accuracy or that uh, uh, what may sound minute is ve- is not very minute when we look at the, the observer, the human observer, and many can... T- t- definitely discern uh and this is you know this is not a myth the myth was well anything under a delta e the eye can't pick up well a delta e of two i mean yes the eye can't pick up a difference of delta e of two between one proof and the other proof so sure. it definitely makes a difference so it sounds to me like it's you know empirical it's definitely um mm-hmm. a reality that that small amount and that extra time is worth the effort Sure. And, you know, the part of the problem is the vast majority of production inkjet people, the ones that we've looked at, don't have that as an option. Right. We kind of we kind of had to figure it out on our own. And it's it's not a process that they can teach you. It's not. It's it's something that we kind of figured out how to be able to implement on our own on some of our technologies. And for our listeners, what are your proofing capabilities? Yeah, uh, we have uh, seven Epson P7000s uh, that are set up with either coated or uncoated uh, paper and are uh, calibrated to match either CRPC3 or CRPC6. And what are the digital front ends? I'm just curious. Are you using something that can apply G7 curves? Uh, all of them, uh, m- the vast majority of them are Aorus, actually, which cannot. Um, we do have one proofer that we have set up with an EFI Fiery XF, and mm-hmm. it can. Got it. And and uh, and what's funny is by just doing uh, calibration G7 output profile we get as accurate of a result or slightly better but as accurate as the ORS does going through its entire iteration process where it does four or five iterations to dial the color you know mm-hmm. down in we get that just from calibration g7 curve output profile boom it can't be any more clear than that so no nope. so tell me about <clears throat> the challenges that you've incurred dealing with the uh high speed inkjet 
and getting those aligned to G7 and aligned to standards. What what are some of the things? Because you guys are very unique. You're you you know you're doing it on equipment that some perceive as not being capable of hitting you know uh, G7 neutral or uh, getting into the you know targeting that standard very accurately and we have well now you know iso 15339 we have uh seven different data sets one through seven seven mm-hmm. being the widest gamut six which is grackle and then of course rp3 rpc3 which is right there in the middle and uh have you guys been able to to hit those across the different platforms that you mentioned yeah so on our coded stock uh, offset we're hitting uh CRPC six, obviously, we're targeting for that. On the digital machines, we use uh, CRPC three, mm-hmm. um, and so that's the input profile. And why? Why, why CRPC three? Is it the substrate? Sure, because on say our thirty nine hundreds on any of the treated inkjet stocks, basically that's as that's all it can hit. There aren't any real coded stocks for like the the OSA 3900s. So it can't really hit any of that CRPC-6. So we just shoot for uncoded. Uh, The screens can hit CRPC-3 fine. Mm -hmm. So so by doing that, all of our litho that's printing uh, across the street on uncoded stock is all shooting for CRPC-3. So then therefore any four color process that they do over there, we automatically have a shared appearance now between what we're doing digitally and what we're doing in litho on uncoated stocks. How have many, that shared appearance. Can you tell me about your typical process control routines as far as measuring and monitoring G7? Okay, so in the offset, um, the vast majority of our work is spot. So we... Uh, we use process control to match the spot colors back to the Pantone library, not to a book or anything, but actually to the Pantone library. We're using press sign for that. Got it. Um, we the, the problem with checking four color process in the offset world is our two sheet fed presses will have color bars, but all the continuous web presses, none of them have color bars. Um, we're printing to, to keep it in perspective, we do about 350 million pieces of mail a month. So about 4.3 billion a year, those continuous web presses are running, you know, some of our runs are five, six, seven million, eight million on one run so one job will run for two weeks on a press um a quarter inch color bar i calculated this out because i wanted to know a quarter inch color bar over 10 million pieces works out to two hundred six thousand feet so in, in in our digital we have um basically a setup we uh have a production what we call a production audit check sheet that basically prints at the end of every roll on the production inkjet webs mm-hmm. and so that uh has a uh, the three row id alliance strip on it and some other stuff and so they read that every roll 
into our process control. And that's basically telling them that the printer's printing correctly, that I have the right profiles installed on it. I haven't mucked mm-hmm. something up. I, <laughs> I, and so they're doing that multiple times a day. Got it. And those uh, on all on all printers. You, you had mentioned that uh, that that data that you're measuring at the end of the roll is going into process control. Is that some? Is that a solution that you guys have developed yourself to collect that data, or is that something that you've uh, purchased outside? No, I purchased outside. Yeah. So we're okay. we're using Maxwell for that. So so, so Maxwell is your yeah uh, essentially your you know cloud based color management uh, or. Uh, process control solution for collecting uh, conformance data for the CMYK for yeah. CMYK data. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And for spot color, you're using what? Press sign. Press sign. Gotcha. 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 Have you had customers in the business? You know, direct mail. You had mentioned uh, lots of brand colors. Uh, do you work directly with those uh, brands or the uh, uh, print buyers? Do they specify G7? Do they specify? My LAB for my Victoria's Secret maroon needs to be XYZ. Uh, excellent question. Uh, we have a couple uh, customers that we get audited annually to, to make sure that we're a G7 master printer. I see. So that happens. Uh, one of the, honestly, one of the deficiencies or one of the, the challenges that I see is that we have lots of brand guides mm-hmm. that are very incomplete. Yes. And so one of the struggles we had, there was a white paper that had gone through the Print Properties Council, I think, last year, where uh, a gentleman had looked at like 1,400 uh, brand guides and found like 97% of them to be inadequate to communicate to a printer what they're supposed to print. Uh-huh. So what were some of the major inadequacies in those brand guidelines? Well, most of them will have some don't even have they'll have like Pantone 186, not U or C, they just have Pantone 186. So they're not specifying, you know, coded or uncoded or if they have Pantone 186C, they're not saying what to do about uncoded stock. Uh, most of them will have CMYK breaks that absolutely really mean nothing. Yes. Um, how they got the CMYK break, for what stock, for what for what uh, press standard, you have no idea. Um, the RGB standards, is that for sRGB? Is that for Adobe 1998? Is that they never give lab values. Right. We have a list right now of like 100 different brand guides that we have and not one of them is adequate to to help us know exactly none don't have tolerances so we have our internal tolerances that we have agreed to that we know with our equipment we can hit but none of them have what their tolerances are basically Yes, and uh, we've had several uh, people on the podcast and webinars also speak to that uh, deficiency as far as uh, communicating the right information for brand colors. On that note, Mike, we'll go ahead and uh, close out today's podcast. And I just want to thank you for sharing your knowledge and spending time with us today. Great, Jeff. I really appreciate the the time and uh, the opportunity to do this. 
Thanks for listening to the Gamut Podcast. If you have ideas, suggestions, or would like to join us or even sponsor future podcasts, simply email me at jcollins at idealliance.org. That's J-C-O-L-L-I-N-S at idealliance.org. Take care and have a productive day.